Now, we've been studying about the preservation of God's Word. All right? The preservation of God's Word. Now, when we talk about preservation, we have to always remember, all right? Let me blank this off first. Always remember what we are talking about. We are talking about the original Hebrew, Aramic, and Greek texts. We are not talking about the King James Bible being inspired in the English language. Okay, right. So with that, do not make the mistake of saying that the KJV is inspired. It is the most faithful translation using the purest text, purest text. Now, when we talked last week, it is based on Psalm 12. Let's turn to Psalm 12, right? We're going to study this psalm today so that our convictions will be very clear, never wavering, never doubting ever about God's word, which is constantly being attacked. Psalm chapter 12. Now, look at verse 7. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. There are those who say that well, this is not, this is not um, about preserving God's word. It's about preserving us. Let me just try and open it. Now, in Psalm 12, Look at the various versions. It say, for example, NIV, you will protect us. New Living Translation will protect the oppressed. This word oppressed don't even occur in the original languages. Guard us. Guard us. King James Bible, preserve them. All right? In the New King James, in this part, they do use the preserved text. Remember, the New King James Version is... A deception. They will tell you, oh, we are just changing the, the old English words. But underlying, they do use the corrupt text. And where the corrupt text and the textus receptors contradict, they will have like, um, footnotes to support the corrupt text. So please don't think that the King James Bible, the new King James Bible, is sincere. All right? It's a deception. All right, so New American Standard, protect him. Now, we learned, we learned, right, that there is a huge difference in changing from the third person to the second person. And we saw in the original text, we saw in the original text, it is third person, plural, third person, plural, without a doubt. And even they acknowledge, right? The commentators acknowledge that the Hebrew suffix is them. They acknowledge the original text is them, but they choose to change it. They choose to use not the original text. They choose to use the Greek text, us, which is changed to us. The Greek text just change it. When the Greek text of the original Hebrew changed it, they chose to use not the original. 
right? So some would use him. I explained already why it's not him. It is them. The language does not permit it to be plural. So, the, so God, the Holy Spirit, who knows the language, would use the male, the masculine, him. But once you see the Hebrew language, you know it is the masculine plural, them. All right, so you cannot just change God's word. Now, why do they change it? Because the moment you change it to us, the moment you change it to us, then it is no longer about God preserving his words, it's preserving us, right? Now then, the next question is this. How do we know? Let's look at the King James Version. Where is it? The King James Version. How do we know that, right at the top, is the them, them, look at verse, uh, look at Psalm 12. Is the them referring to God's word or is the them referring to God's people, right? So that is that question still, still to be answered. So last week someone also asked, well, okay, I agree that they should not change it to, to a second person when it's third person, but even in the third person, them, it could be preserved, them, God's people. Why God's word? Now, whenever, well, first and foremost, we know it is them, without a doubt. You can't argue about that. Then we have to answer the next question. Our, our belief in preservation is one of the verses that we base it on is this verse. If there's an argument, then we have to be able to give an answer, rightly dividing the word of God to help people understand. Now, whenever there is doubt, what do you do? Um, which end? Use other scriptures, so fast use other scriptures. How it? Look at the context first, all right? Look at the context first. Yes, using other scriptures is one of the way. Now, whenever we read scriptures, and we've learned that in our series on how to do your personal devotion, whenever there is a verse that is in question, of course, you go to the original languages, that's the best. Now, after sorting that out, like this case, well, there is still the question, is there them, people, or words? Then you go to the immediate context, all right? The immediate context, correct? Look at the verse above and below it, especially the ones above will tell you what it's leading to. Now, if it is still questionable, then you go to the bigger context, maybe the whole chapter, all right? And when you do all this, you have to remember that it must be consistent with the rest of scriptures, that is how you read the Bible. Otherwise, you fall into error. Now, with that, then let's look at the, well, not only that, all right, we studied the three C's, all right, the context, the consistency, and any contradiction with scriptures. Now, then there is also um, in that series that we did in church, teaching you how to do your devotion properly, we also talked about when you interpret different genres of the Bible. You must be aware there are different ways. And if you don't follow that, you will go wrong as well. Ways in what sense? When you interpret um, narratives, it's different from interpreting 
epistles. It's different from interpreting psalms or poetic literature, poetic works. There are rules that in that language and there are emphasis in, that, in, that, in those kind of genres that you must be aware of, then you will not go wrong. All right? So definitely um, the allegorical method is out of the question. Unless scriptures specifically allegorizes and say that it's an allegory, then it's fine. We cannot allegorize scripture. So the three C's, the closest is context, all right? The three C's and also the genre, all right? The genre, sorry, the genre, all right? The type. Now, why do we want to know this? so that we can rightly divide the word of God. What is the immediate context? Let me ask. All right, so I ask um, CJ, Psalm 12, what is the immediate context? Is it about people or is it about words? You see, not even the Bible is open. All right, um, Alex. The immediate context, look at verse 6. What was it leading up to? Verse 7. Verse 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver purified in the furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them. Now, this is like normal speaking. Remember in the, in the original Bible, there, is, there are no Bible verses. Know that. So it's like someone speaking, 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 speaking. All right? So you can't just take one part of a statement someone make. And then you say, oh, it means this. You have, to th you have to just in real life today, you think of what the person is saying in a flow. You don't break it up to verses. All right? So immediate context tells you is words. Now, first and foremost, we already established that based on the language. On the language is third person. It allows for and it clearly is about them. All right? Something. Context tells us the words of the Lord, words of the Lord. Now then, that already establishes it. It is the words. How to be even clearer about that? Then, from this immediate context, you go to the chapter, the chapter. Now once you go to, we've done this, we've done this, now we come to the chapter. So once you think about Psalms, poetic language, they have a structure that they follow. Knowing the structure will help you be very sure that you're interpreting this psalm correctly, right? Now for the genre of, of poetic, for example, psalms, what is the structure that we must be aware of? Ichung. Very good. Look at the beginning and the end because that is how they write uh, psalms, just like we sing hymns. The, po the songwriters, they have choruses. The chorus will typically emphasize the key thing that they're writing about. You keep singing it, right? So poems are like that. Psalms are like that. Then first and foremost, the beginning and end. That will tell you what the author is focusing on. All right? So that's one beginning and end. Now, those of you who bothered to take FEBC courses, 
There was one particular course called po, um, Poetic Books, all right, about poetic books. Who took that? Time to confess. So few. All right, pay. And some others. Now, in there, in Psalms, what are the different kind of parallelism? See again? Very good, three types. All right, at least remember three types. Now, first is emblematic parallelism. So you will see them use emblematic parallelism. Now, I'm telling all this because it's to help you really be sure in your heart. Eh? It's, it's not to build your, bloat your head up. Why do you take all these courses? So that you are sure how you divide God's word. Emblematic parallelism. All right? Second one. Anyone? Say again. Say again. Synonymous. Very good. Synonymous. All right? Synonymous. Forgive me if I did spell it wrongly. Synonymous and the final one, synthetic. Now, why do you think we teach you all, all this? Ah, it's for Bible college students, for pastors, for preachers. We don't have to know this. We studied on Friday. Be ready to give an answer to every man as written to congregation people. All right? So why do you know, want to know all this? So that you will divide God's word rightly, as I've mentioned. Now, so next, go to beginning and end because it's the psalm. What is the beginning and end? Help, O Lord, for the, God, for the godly men ceaseth, for the faithful fail among the children of men. They speak vanity, everyone with his neighbor, with flattering lips, and double heart do they speak. Furthermore, uh, just that, all right? Now, so, beginning is that. It's about people, or it's about the godly people perishing because of the ungodly speaking with flattering lips with double hearts they speak speaking is about words so it's about that now how does it end look at verse 6 and 7 and 8 the words of the lord are pure words then say verse 7 and so on and so on right then verse 7 thou shalt keep them then verse 8 the wicked walk on every side when the vilest men are exalted now it opens with Wicked men, by their words, oppress and destroy godly men. It closes with God's words are going to be the one that will prevail against these words of ungodly people, even though they may continue in this earth always. So the beginning and end will tell you what this psalm is emphasizing. Ungodly people's words that they think with that they can always oppress the godly. Closes with God's word will prevail. No matter how long these people live on earth, through any generation, it is always God's word that will prevail for even this generation. So you apply that and you know, yes, I can be very sure. By the structure, this is what the psalmist is talking about. Flattering ribs are false words of ungodly people, God's words that can be trusted. Context will tell you that clearly. Now then you go to how psalms are written using parallelism. With that, you know that, well, I can apply it. Is it, is it correct? Now, parallelism means there are things running together, correct? So it's not just by itself. 
So when you read Psalms, you don't read just take one statement and then, oh, I want to interpret it this way. If they use parallelism, then you must look at the parallel verses or parallel statements to ensure that you are interpreting it correctly and getting the maximum of what God, the Holy Spirit, is speaking to you through His Word. So parallelism, right? Emblematic parallelism. You already see that in verse 6. The words of the Lord are pure words. Silver tried in a furnace of earth purified seven times. Emblems using silver. So first God talks about... Now, now when they use this parallelism, that will be the focus that you put your eyes on and your attention on. Otherwise, what's the point of using emblematic parallelism, for example? So what, is the, what would be the emphasis here? Is it about people or is it about words? Well, where do they apply the parallelism? Do they apply the parallelism to people or do they apply the parallelism to words? Right? I hope you are following. Now, then you see verse 6. What is the emblematic parallelism, emblematic thing? It's about silver being purified. And what is this emblem speaking about? People or words? Verse 6 tells you the words. The words. So by the emblematic parallelism, you already know. It is not about people. So the them must refer to words. Then the second one. Hey, by the way, I hope that you are paying attention, writing notes, and one day you'll be, you'll be challenged about this belief. We are challenged today. Constantly. Just look at the Bible versions. 90% of it states them, uh, states us, states him, people. Now, next one. Then you look at synonymous parallelism. What is synonymous parallelism? Synonyms. Both emphasizing the same thing, but using different words. All right? So now, they say, oh, they applied emblematic parallelism. Let's see if there's another parallelism. So in this psalm, the psalmist uses all three to make it so clear that it is about words. Now, next one. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. Now, number one, you know from verse 6, it must be words. Number two, the emphasis. What does God want to emphasize about the words? Having used the emblem. What did he want to emphasize? Now, look at the syn synonymous parallelism, verse 7. Thou shalt keep them. Keep them means God will guard them. When God guards something, you can be very sure that it is very safe. But God does not want to stop there about the words. He wants to emphasize further. Look at verse 7. Thou shalt preserve them. Now, now that takes it to another level. That's, that is why he calls synonymous parallelism. It's to is to make a strong emphasis about what it is focusing on, which is the words. Now, preserve means you guard something. But people can attack it. People can distort it. But once you preserve it, means you will ensure that no matter what people do to it, no matter what people doubt about it, God will ensure that the truth will not be lost or adulterated or mixed he will preserve now remember when we studied this okay when we studied this 
This is the original language of verse 7. It's synonymous, uh, synonymous parallelism. Look at the top. Thou shalt keep them. Now, keep them, you will see the normal ending. The normal ending in red, right? That square box is mem them. But when it comes to thou shalt preserve them, in the synonymous parallelism, preserve them, God did not use the ordinary ending, which is that square box, which is them. God used, remember the word energetic noon, okay, that, that little, uh, in the red color, preserve. God changed it to energetic noon. Energetic noon, as you say, is to energize, to emphasize. So God now using a synonymous parallelism to emphasize pres preservation. That is why he did not use the ordinary, that square box, but the ending with this, this alphabet there. So you now know that God's emphasis is what? Preservation of the words. Our belief in this is linguistically correct, contextually correct. Um, Genre-wise, it is very correct. Now then we come back to this. Oops, sorry. Come back to this. Then, now, some psalms, they may just use emblematic and then they leave it as that. You already, it's already very strong. God wants to emphasize it. That, but here God uses synonymous. And not only that, with the synonymous, he adds an energetic noon to then to draw the people who understand that language, to draw them immediately to this fact that words, preserved, being preserved, is his emphasis. But not only that, some psalms just leave it as just, well, emblematic and synonymous. In this psalm, God the Holy Spirit would use the third, the full words, to emphasize it with synthetic parallelism. How do we see synthetic? Synthetic now goes bigger from emblematic within the emblematic parallel, parallel uh, um, um, synonymous. From there, it also synthesizes it with other verses synthesize to add support to to make it very very strong now look at verse 6 and 7 verses 6 and 7 is synthetic parallelism things are running parallel verse 6 one of the parallel line is the words of the lord are guarded the words of the lord are purified not strong enough god will add another verse to be a synthetic parallelism to make it even stronger which is verse 7 all right, so, sorry, verse 6 is, is the silver tried and purified. Verse 7 is to say, well, I want you to know as well, this purified, this tried and purified words, I will add a synthetic parallelism to, to strengthen and establish that, which is thou shalt keep them, thou shalt preserve them. You see, all three kinds of parallelism are used. I'm very glad that you study God's word and you at least remember some of these things. When you read it, Whenever there is a challenge to God's truth, whenever you doubt yourself, use it. You have the tools. These are not difficult things. You don't need to be a language expert. In the English language, you, we have emblematic, synonymous, and um, synthetic parallelism as well. You don't need to be a Bible college student in that sense, all right? Now, then, with that, let's look at how this psalm is, is written. First, it is about and verse 1 and 2. Verse 1 and 2 are godly people being, being attacked. Now, faithful people failing and because of the, what the ungodly speak. 
Then he says, verse 3, The Lord shall cut off all the flattering lips and the tongue that speaketh proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail, with our lips and with our with, with lips who are our own. Who is the Lord over us? Now, let me ask you, just from verses 1 to 4, what is the repeated theme? Look at verse 1. Oh, sorry, verse, verse 2. Speak. Flattering lips. Speak. Three times. It's about speaking and things that come out of your lips, words. Verse 3. Flattering lips. Tongue. Speak. Three times. Also about speaking things, words. Verse 4. Who have said our tongue our lips three times. Nine times the psalm is talking about things that come out of people's lips. It is about words. Now the Christian, the believers were very discouraged. These people, they, they lie, they deceive. They pretend to say we are protecting you, we are helping you, but they were fleecing them. They were abusing them. They were attacking them, taking away their properties. But yet they say, we are doing all this for good reasons. Sounds familiar today, right? In this generation, it's the same. What is the war that is going on now, predicated upon? Deceptive words. Words. But the people feel that we are going to perish. We are finished. They are powerful. They say all these things. We can't go against them. Now, then the psalmist writes to encourage them. Verse 6. Now, verse 5, uh, verse 4, sorry, verse 5. Now, I say, verse 4 says, they were Lord over us. Verse 5 says, the oppression of the poor for the signs of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord, I will arise. Now, God now says, don't worry about what they say and what they can do. I will save him in safety. Yes, God did say, I will keep you safe. God did say that. Then he says, they that puffeth at you speak proud and vain words, bullying words. Now, then he says, they say all these things, but I want you to know what God says. Then he goes into verse 6 and 7. The words of the Lord, compared to the words of the wicked, is pure. They are deceptive, they are vain, but God's word is always true. If God promises to keep you safe, he will keep you safe. Your soul will ever be safe, even if they kill you. They cannot touch your soul. Trust God. God's word is always for you to believe in, trust in, and you can rely upon it. But how can I rely to what point? And that is why he used this, the parallelisms to strengthen the emphasis, to, to establish their confidence, their faith. And they say, well, their words are everywhere. You, you know. But he says, well, God's word they are tried in the furnace of earth, purified sometimes. Very pure, very perfect, very trustworthy. Not only that, but he said, but maybe sometimes. No, he says, God will keep them, God will preserve them. No, what, no matter what they say, your Lord, your God cannot help you. We will lord over you. He said, no, God says they won't. They will keep them, preserve them. No use protecting men. If God promised to protect them, we are hopeless people today. Right? But God says, what I speak to you, 
and look at verse 7. To from this generation forever, every Christian that read these words, that I, the Lord, will keep the soul of, his, of my people, will always turn to these words and be comforted. That is why we do not fear death. That is why we do not fear persecution. What, what is it that you can do to me that is the worst thing? Kill me? It does not matter. My soul is safe. If God simply pre preserved them, then what hope is there for us today? What is the point of writing this in scriptures? That God preserved them at that time. But what about us? No, no. God says, my, I promise with words. You can trust me in any generation. Right? And he says, verse 8, Now the wicked can walk on every side. The vilest man can be exalted. And in that generation, in that age, they can say a lot of things against you. But remember, God did not preserve them. God preserved the words that we today also can lean upon and take as our infallible, inerrant, and always true in every generation promises. God says for us to... To know, men shall not live by bread alone, but by, but by every meaning, every intention, every doctrine. No, but by every word. Word. Preservation is about words. You cannot accept the thinking that, well, the ideas are there, the thoughts are there. No, God says, where do ideas and words come from? Where are ideas come from? Doctrines come from words. That is why I preserve my words. Right Now, so with every aspect from language, from context, from how Psalms should be read and how God used all the tools of poetic language to emphasize that it is the words being preserved that will encourage us and strengthen us, you cannot just change words to people. You cannot. Now, I hope that that establishes it once and for all in your heart, not only for yourself, but you must be able to explain to those who still ask and ask and ask and ask. All right? Now, then, let's move on quickly. So, this is one major problem. They change arbitrarily. Based on their reading, well, you know, it's about people, about people, about people. So, let's change it to what the Greek text of the Old Testament says instead of going to the original Hebrew text. Let's change it to that. I think those people who translate that is correct. Even if God say it is them, let's, let's read it. Come on, it's about us. Now then next, let us go to the next part. They arbitrarily change things. Now please don't think, well, it's difficult to read. I, just pre I still prefer to read the modern Bibles. Is it really God's word that you are reading? One example, John 7, 53, uh, John 7, uh, 53 to 8, 11. I already told you, for example here, NIV. If you use NIV Bible, they will say very openly, all right? The earliest manuscript and many other ancient witnesses do not have this whole chunk. The whole chunk of this passage is to be thrown out of the Bible. They don't have it. Why do they put it in then? Well, if I don't put it in, many people won't buy the Bible. They get angry at us. If I don't put it in, 
then we can't sell these Bibles. Please know, the King James Bible is not copyrighted. NIV, the modern versions, they are copyrighted. NIV copyrighted, I believe, by Rupert Murdoch. Right? It's about a money-making thing. So, if I don't put it in, well, people are not happy. So we leave it in. But the worst thing is this. You leave it out. If you, if you say that you believe, remember the three things they use. The oldest manuscript, the shorter reading, the most complex reading, that is textual criticism. They use verses that are shortest, uh, then it's correct. So they say, or oh, oldest. Oldest doesn't mean it's right. Many of the old manuscripts were thrown away because they were wrong. So they say, well, oldest, oldest. So when you read these Bibles, it's oldest, most ancient. So what? Throw it out. It's better that you throw it out. And I know your, your deception straight away than to leave it in and then put a little footnote. Please know the next generation. They will think differently. All right, it's a beginning of the deception. Now, next one. i just give you some examples. Same. Mark, same in Mark 16, 9. Again, they say, verses 9 to 12, the earliest manuscript, textual criticism, and some other ancient manuscripts do not have these verses. So they openly tell you, these verses should not be there. Should not be there. Because the earliest ones are not there. You are reading a mutilated book, not the Bible. Next one. First John 5, 7, I already told you. King James' Bible is very clear, and it is in the original text. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three, and these three are one, is a proof of Trinity. The proof of Trinity proves that Jesus is God. Because God the Father is God, Jesus is God, Jesus' Son is God, Holy Spirit is God. All three are God. These three are one. They are God. It's the Trinity. But look at the other Bibles. The greatest attack, I explained this to you before, the Unitarian that was allowed into the translation committee that used a corrupt text, he fought for the corrupt texts that were corrupted by people who do not believe that Jesus is God. NIV, for there are three that testify. So these three, three, just three that testify, three that testify, three that better to me. So what? Three of us can keep talking. Does it mean that we are God? Only the King James, well, the new King James here, they would use the Texas receptors. Look, oh, testify, testify. How short the verse? Remove. Because they do not want a verse there that can be unequivocally used to say Jesus is God. I repeatedly say this. Whenever the Mormons, the seven-day Adventists knock on your door, just take out your King James Bible and show them. But they will say, well, we can't use this Bible because your scholars, even Muslims say that repeatedly to me, your scholars do not agree with the King James Bible. King James Bible is the Bible that keeps us from ecumenical movement and compromise. This Bible is a wedge. It doesn't allow that. Once you change that, it allows for us to come together with the Mormons, the cults. This is the eventual plan of giving you such Bibles by Satan. Please know that. To, for the ecumenical movement to succeed, the Bible must first, the true Bible must first be removed. Now, next. Every Sunday we say this, but look at the ending. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, this is from 
NIV, for example, and you can find other versions. For thine is the glory, and so on, the power, the kingdom, all these things gone, removed, because their aim is always this, <clears throat> anything that is shorter. Shorter, right? Well, some of the manuscripts have that. So we should use the shorter one. So remove this. Because their idea is people tend to add to, to things. So shorter is better. They just remove it. Granted, the account of Luke does not have this ending. But please know, everything is God's word. If the other side, God chooses to include this, you cannot say Luke did not have that. So must we, use, we should use the Luke one and just arbitrarily remove it. You can't do that. If, there are many accounts in the gospel that is, exist in one part, then the other part doesn't have it. What do you do? Are you going to snip out all, all the parts that God puts in in one gospel but not in the other? You're reading a mutilated book. I wouldn't even call it a Bible. Now, next. Now, it says NIV or KJV. Let's see KJV first. These things I have written unto you that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe in the name of the Son of God. Right? Other versions, the last statement, and that ye, might, ye, that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. All removed, 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 removed. When I was in my previous church, and that was one of the last straw, and the curtains came down and said, this is it, I got to leave. One of the train, one of the train full-time worker came back from Bob Jones University, which attacks, which attacks preservation and the King James Bible. They do, may not do it openly. They use a lot of avenues. He came back as a graduate to preach, and when he preached this on the pulpit that Sunday, he says this, right? You see, and that the blast by, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God is already in the beginning, that ye may believe on the Son of God. Whenever you read the Bible and you see all this repeats, you just put a full stop there and ignore the rest. This is a Bible college student trained by so-called fundamental university whose intent is to cast doubt, support the corrupt text. And he, says, he said that, put a full stop and remove the rest, ignore the rest. I said, this is it. This, is, this church is finished. To allow someone to go up and say that, and then after that, there's nothing that will happen, is gone. I had to leave the church. Now, this is in the Greek text. It is there. It is when God, when God repeats something. You do not say, ignore it. Parents, when you say, I'm saying this again. Oh, my daddy, mommy said it once, I'm going to ignore the second one the third one, the fourth one. When you do that, what are you doing? Emphasizing. Now, the first part is say, you believe on the Son of God and you will have eternal life. The second part is to emphasize sanctification. Now, don't just say, I believe, I believe, I have eternal life. The second part is, the second part is that you will continue believing Whatever God says after salvation, you continue to believe. You continue to observe. You continue to do. You can't just say, well, the part that emphasizes God, about, God emphasizes about sanctification, forget it. Very quickly. Actually, we do not have time. Now, next week, I want to show you some verses which they openly change. I'll just, they openly change. And they openly remove 
Don't think that you're reading the Word of God just because it's easy to read. I want to choose it. Don't be so foolish. And I will also share next week, God willing, the various views about preservation. Be split in the Bible Presbyterian movement because there is a group. They claim to believe in preservation. Why do we split from them then? What are the ideas about preservation in Christendom today? You must know those views and know how to defend it. Defend our view. Let's pray.